Hi, my name is Alessia Davgaluk and you're listening to Not Just Silk, my podcast-style project where I explore some curious cultural amalgamations and historic exchanges between the peoples of Inner Eurasian region and a little bit further. So this is episode 3 of the World of Central Asian Textiles series. And if you followed the whole series, then you recall that last time we covered the textile weaving process from shearing your sheep to trimming the end product that you've just cut off your loom. And this time, as promised in the last episode, we will look into colors and motifs that you will come across in the pieces from the region, but also into errors and variations, which are the core focus of Victoria's own research. So let's start with the colors. What would be the colors that weavers would pick for their pieces and why? Like with a lot of things with humans, it probably started as what colors can we get? You know, what colors are found around us? What colors are easy to make? What colors can we make repeatedly? You know, not just once on accident, but colors we can make again and again and again. Uh, So reds, greens, uh, yellows, browns, those kinds of colors are pretty easy to make from natural dyes that are available in Central Asia. So they're very common colors in Central Asian textiles, whereas something like blue or purple, while not impossible to make with natural dyes, are much, much trickier to make. uh, And you have to source the materials from further away. So it would start as like, these are the colors we can make. So these are the colors we're going to use. And then over time, uh, you know, different colors take on different cultural meaning. Uh, For example, in a lot of Central Asia and Southern Central Asia, red is a very popular color culturally. So it's used a lot in their textiles. And so it sort of takes over. Okay, so colors are one element, but there is another visual aspect of characterizing or classifying or understanding textiles, which is motifs. And Victoria looks into the error and variation in motifs. What does it mean and what does our guest study? I mainly look at variation and error and... This is actually a pretty common way of analyzing archaeological materials, not textiles, but like other stuff, pottery and ceramics and glass and other things, uh, because it's a good way to understand whether or not an object, a particular object you have in a particular archaeological context is sort of normal and average, or if it's very special, if it's unusually good or unusually bad. So... For a lot of archaeological history, you would get a big collection, like let's say you had a big collection of pots, all from the same place in the same time period, and you could take really detailed measurements of all of them and find out that they are all, you know, really, really, really close together. They're all almost exactly the same. And what would that tell you? It would tell you that, you know, these 300 pots are almost exactly the same, But they didn't have a machine making them, of course, because they're too old, which means people made these. And it's unlikely that one person made 300 pots. So it's much more likely that they are all working on purpose to make the exact same pot over and over and over and over again, which tells you something about the people who made it. Like, why? Why do they care if they're all exactly the same? Well, maybe it's because it's for a specific purpose. Like maybe your cooking pots have to be a certain thickness or they will uh, you know, explode when you put them over the fire. 
or maybe they're for some ritual and they need to be perfectly sized or perfectly decorated for whatever reason. So if you can look at all of these things and all these little tiny variations in how things are made and how they turn out, you can learn something about the people who made them. So that's basically what I'm doing with the textiles. I'm taking all kinds of detailed, fine measurements of them in different ways and comparing them over time and space to see, you know, are they all very consistent? Are there changes? What might cause the changes? What might cause the consistency? Uh, you know, what kinds of things can we learn from the different kinds of variation? And what is the difference between the variation and error? So error is different from variation because variation happens when you know, things vary, they're different, but it's not good or bad. If some, you know, if your textile is, you know, six inches wider versus six inches narrower, maybe that doesn't really matter if it's a carpet. Uh, as long as it still works as a carpet, it doesn't really matter what size it is. Whereas error is necessarily binary. It's either right or it's wrong. There is no sort of sliding scale, like in variation. So, For error, the main way I look at it is by knotting errors, which is when someone will sort of pre-draw a pattern to use in their textile, and they will decide what color all the knots need to be, uh, and then I look at how often they make a mistake, how often they get the wrong color for a single knot. And these errors don't make any difference to the textile itself in the sense that they won't hurt it, they won't make a hole, they won't do anything, it will still function exactly the same. And even sometimes visually, you can't really see it because the knots are so tiny that if one of them's the wrong color, it doesn't really make a difference. But if you go and look closely at pile textiles, sometimes you find that there are lots and lots of errors. Uh, and sometimes you find there are none at all. And if you're doing something thousands and thousands and thousands of times, even millions of times in a single carpet, the chances of you never making a single error are unlikely, right? Everyone makes mistakes. But if you don't find any errors, what does that tell you? It probably tells you that someone was paying attention, and if they made an error, they went back and fixed it. And if you know that, you can say things like, well, why Why would you bother doing that? Like, it takes time to go back and fix it. You know, it doesn't matter that it's wrong. Just leave it and move on. Well, that tells you that, you know, someone really cares, and they need to be high quality and perfect. Maybe for sale, you know, they can sell it for a higher price if it's perfect or whatever. So looking at the error rates and who makes lots of errors and what kinds of errors they make uh, can also tell you about the setting in which the different textiles were made. So suppose you do get distracted and make such an error. How do you fix it? If you make an error, if you tie one knot in the wrong color, it kind of depends on how quickly you notice your error. If you notice it pretty quickly, it's not a huge deal to untie it. It'll just take, you know, a couple of seconds to fix it. But if you notice it, Further along, like if you're on a diff if you've moved on to a new row of knots, it could take hours to take it all out and then redo it all again. But in my research, I found evidence, you know, clearly someone is fixing it because there are no errors. So somebody did that. So it's obviously, you know, there's a reason they're doing that. It can be a very annoying thing to have to fix. That's actually interesting. So as a researcher, when you're looking at a piece, How do you know that there was a mistake originally that someone then later fixed? Or vice versa, how do you know that someone didn't intend to use a different color or pattern? 
Well, so sometimes you're right. Sometimes you can't tell. Uh, you have no idea what the person who made it was trying to do. You know, maybe they wanted that one to be blue instead of red, right? We have no idea. But sometimes, depending on what we know about the textile or the people who made it, sometimes you can make sort of educated guesses. Uh, so, for example, in certain parts of Central Asia, it's very common for carpets to have repeating patterns. So it's the same pattern over and over and over and over again. And if you're looking at those patterns and, you know, there's, let's say there's 10 of them and nine of them are exactly the same. And the 10th one has two knots that are wrong. It's, it's a reasonable guess to assume that they're not supposed to be wrong. And it was just a mistake that someone didn't correct. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a guessing game. And that's part of the reason that using modern textiles can be very helpful because we can get the pattern. Like I can get the, the piece of paper that says what color they're supposed to be. And I can know for sure if someone messed it up or if they left it behind. Sometimes there are small mistakes and you can tell that the weavers are like, oh, it doesn't matter. And sometimes there are big, mis like obvious mistakes. And you can just you can just tell that they're like, I can't I can't believe I did that. Like, How did I not see that? Well, I can only imagine how much patience it takes to be a weaver when untangling wired headphones would be an everyday pain for the most of us. But I was also curious about one thing. When clarifying and communicating with the Central Asian weavers as part of her research, what language did Victoria use? I speak Kazakh, so when I talk to Kazakh weavers it works fine. And <laughs> the Central Asian languages are kind of similar in some ways, so sometimes the Kazakh is good enough for non, you know, in Turkmenistan or Uzbekistan or wherever else to sort of get by. Um, I don't speak Russian very well, <laughs> unfortunately. I can say I don't speak Russian about five different ways, but that's about it. I usually rely on my Kazakh or I'll, I'll get myself a translator if, it, if, you know, if I need real detailed information. So this is it for the third episode. And in the next and final episode of the world of Central Asian textiles, we will turn to the macro picture and look at the place that textiles occupied in the history of the region, including these days. See you then!